This evening we invite you back to the book of Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans chapter 10. And this evening or this afternoon we're going to read once again that of our text that we had this morning, verse number 1. Romans chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This afternoon I would like to continue on with that of our study on uh, the doctrine of salvation. This morning in our study we considered Paul's heart desire and that of his prayer uh, and this in respect to uh, the salvation of that of his people uh, the Jewish uh, people this afternoon I want to have us consider several <coughs> questions in light of what we have here in that of our text and the first question we've already pretty much answered, uh, and yet uh, there are some things that we would like to share with you uh, uh, with regards to the question. And that question is, is uh, should we pray for the salvation of the lost? Should we pray for the salvation of the lost? Uh, you can understand why I've already said that we've pretty much answered that question because uh, uh, the answer is, of course, here in that of our text. But then there's a couple other questions that we want uh, to ask uh, uh, along with this question. Uh, and the second question is, is, if we are to pray for the lost, how should we pray for the salvation of the lost? You understand why I'm asking this question as we get on further into that of our, our lesson here uh, tonight. And then lastly, the question, are we praying for the salvation of the lost? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Considering the first question, uh, should we pray for the salvation of the lost? I would raise a question with regards to that question, and that is, why shouldn't we pray for the salvation of the lost. Why shouldn't we pray for the salvation of the lost? Is it because nothing is in the Word of God that tells us that we should? Is it that there's nothing in the Word of God that tells us that we should? Well, let me just say to you that if we are looking for that of a command in Scripture... Uh, or if you're looking for a command in Scripture that uh, distinctly calls uh, for this, you're not going to find uh, a command, uh, thou shalt pray for the salvation of the lost. There is no commandment as such. There are a lot of things, however, that we do which we don't have a distinct command to do. And that's not to say that the Scriptures are not our guidelines, guideline, because it is. And there is a standard in the Word of God. Uh, there, there is guidelines as to how uh, that 
you know, we are to worship, how that we are to do certain things. But within that of those guidelines, there in some respects or in some ways we are given some leeway. I want us to take, for instance, that of prayer for an example here. And this has nothing to do with that standard that I'm speaking of, per se. Or I I just recently spoke of. Prayer. We pray. Or we're called to pray. We're commanded to pray. Aren't we? We're to pray always, Paul tells us. In all things, uh, we're, we're to give thanks. We're to pray without ceasing. But do we have distinct commands in Scripture that tell us exactly when we are to pray? You say, well, pray without ceasing. Yes, that is, that is, that is uh, guidelines. But what I'm going along the line of is, 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 you know, as we gather with God's people here as an assembly to worship, it's to be done in decency and in order. And we do have decency in order as we gather together for worship. Uh, I believe that we have that of a very good pattern that we follow uh, in that of our worship services. Normally we have that of a call to worship and then we have that of a hymn and then we have a prayer. And then at the end of the services, we usually have that of a prayer after that of the last hymn. Don't we? But my point that I'm getting at here tonight is, is, is that if we would, was to go to Scripture and, find, and say, well, where do we find that exactly, that, that, that exact pattern, we would not be able to come up with that. But all of the elements are elements, as far as the elements of worship, they're according to that of the Scripture. To pray in the beginning of a service and to pray at the end of a service for that of God's blessing is indeed beneficial, is it not? So, if you're looking for a distinct command, thou shalt, work, thou shalt pray for the salvation of the lost in Scripture, you're not going to find it. <coughs> the predominant answer you're going to find with regards to the question that I ask is we don't know who the elect are And so we might be praying for someone who is not an elect. And this would be contrary to that of God's will if we was to pray for the salvation of that of the lost. Now, you you, you and I all all know that that's kind of a ridiculous uh, statement or answer.
Yes, we don't want to pray contrary to that of God's will, which is revealed to us. And true, we don't know what, who, who, who the elect are. Like ones don't have big X's on their back where that we can identify them. And so, you know, we pray for them and, and not for others. My question is, is, is really, should we even be involved in such a question? Should we not leave that of the things that are secretive to the Lord? We do know that God's, God has that of an elect people. That He has chosen a particular people unto that of salvation. And this is indeed revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. Let's look at that of our text here tonight and see what it gives us or what light it gives to us. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Let's ask some questions about that of our text. Did Paul know among the Jewish people who were the elect? No. Just like we don't know who the elect are today. Did Paul not pray here for the Jewish people? Does he not tell us in that of our text? Here, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And here's the big question. Was Paul praying contrary to the will of God? We would say to you, the answer to that question is no. He was not praying contrary to the will of God. And we'll see this in just a few moments. Is Paul an example for us? I believe that he is. Turn with me back over to Romans chapter 9 for a moment. And let's read the first few verses that are there in the chapter. Paul writes, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continued sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself was accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Here in these verses, the Apostle Paul, as he begins uh, uh, these chapters, chapters 9, 10, and 11, which have to do with Israel uh, and that of the salvation of the Jewish people, he begins by saying, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. He, he says, I 
I could wish, I could wish myself accursed for that of my brethren according to the flesh. What I want to emphasize here and point out to you is, is that there were not certain individuals amongst the Jewish people that Paul here was speaking of here. He was speaking of that of his Jewish people as a whole. And as you get on further in to that of Romans chapter 9, you see, Paul deals with that of God's sovereignty, God's elective purpose, and yes, he does declare that God is sovereign. He's sovereign with His mercy. He's sovereign with that of His love. He pardoneth whom He will, as we read from the ninth chapter here this morning. He shows mercy to whom He will. He has compassion upon whom He will. And then we have that passage there in the ninth chapter. He says, beginning with verse number 18. Let's back up to verse 17. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endued with much longsuffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessel of mercy, which He has afore prepared unto glory, even us whom He has called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Is God unrighteous? No. Is God unjust? No. My point here is, is that Paul, Paul, he set forth clearly the fact of God's sovereignty and that of his election here in the ninth chapter. And then as we come into chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I would invite you to the book of Genesis chapter 18 for a moment. Genesis chapter 18. While you're turning there, we'll just back up and we'll make mention once again what we said the predominant answer to the question was
Should we pray for the salvation of the lost? That predominant answer you are going to find is this, we don't know who the elect are, and so we might be praying for someone who's not an elect, and this would be contrary to that of God's will. As I've already said, we don't want to pray contrary to God's will, do we? But I would raise the question, do we always know what God's will is? In everything. Here in the book of Genesis chapter 18, we'll begin reading with verse number 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Solomon and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Preventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? You note here that as Abraham addresses the Lord here, he starts out with the question. That question is, is, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he begins with that of, If there be fifty people in, in the city. If there be 50 righteous within the city, will thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Preadventure there shall be five of, like five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the like of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Preadventure there be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Preadventure there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I'll not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Preadventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I'll not destroy for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak yet but this once. Preadventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto 
the place. And you may wonder why I've drawn our attention to that of this passage here. The reason I have drawn our attention to it is, is that of what is going on here. We have Abraham and the Lord, and we have the Lord revealing unto Abraham what he was about to do. And we have that of Abraham speaking to the Lord, and we find him speaking to the Lord in the behalf of that of the righteous that would be in the city. Now, Abraham didn't know who was, it, who was righteous in the city. He didn't know how many there were that were righteous in the city, did he? As we look here, uh, Abraham, he keeps on coming back to the Lord. Fifty, forty-five, forty, thirty, twenty, all the way down to that of ten. Now I ask you the question with regards to what we have here, that of Abraham. Here he is. He's, he's speaking to the Lord Himself. He's interceding on behalf of that of the righteous that were in that city, or those cities. He didn't know how many there were. Was Abraham wrong in what he did? Was Abraham wrong in what he did? Was Abraham wrong in praying or interceding in the behalf of those ones that were righteous? God had revealed certain things unto Abraham, hadn't He? But He didn't, He hadn't revealed everything to Abraham. The Lord knew exactly who was righteous in those cities. The Lord knows everything. Even though Abraham didn't know who was the righteous or how many was in the righteous, it, it, it didn't stop Abraham from speaking to the Lord about it. And that's my point that I want to make. Abraham, he prayed for the righteous. I would suggest to you that we don't know who the elect are and we're not. We don't know who the elect are and who are not the elect. But I would suggest to you that we have that of the same situation here. Paul didn't know who the elect were either, but that didn't stop him from praying. For having that of a heartfelt desire and prayer for that of his kin people and desiring their salvation. 
I would ask the question next, which I told you I wanted us to ask, and that is, how should we pray for the salvation of the lost? How should we pray for the salvation of the lost? First of all, we should pray for the salvation of the lost in light of that of the will of God. In light of the will of God. We know what the Scriptures tells us, do we not? Do we not know that the Scriptures tells us that God, before the foundation of the world, chose a people for Himself? And those people that He chose, He chose them unto salvation. His purpose being to save them. So we ought to pray in light of that. We know that God has a chosen people and we know that His purpose is to save them. So praying in the light of that of the will of God. Praying in light of that of God's graciousness. Paul knew the graciousness of the Lord. He knew the Lord was gracious for he had experienced the grace of God. And he desired that those who were that of his people that they might also know God's graciousness. But I would say to you that Paul was not under the belief that all, all, all of his kin people, that God was going to show gracious and be gracious unto them. But that didn't stop him from praying with regards to him and praying that the Lord would be gracious. Over in the book of out of 1 Timothy. Paul, in writing to Timothy, in verse number 15 of this chapter, he wrote, let's back up to verse Verse number 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul knew that the Lord had been gracious to him and note how he describes himself, the chief of sinners. And when you do look back upon that of the life of the Apostle Paul, when he was known as Saul, he did some terrible things. 
with respects to that of the Lord and the Lord's people. But God had been gracious to him. And Paul wished he desired that same grace for that of his people. He prayed in the light of the will of God. He prayed in light of that of God being gracious. And he prayed in light of that of knowing the fact that God is merciful. As we read there in 1 Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Paul prayed for the salvation of his people in light of that of God's will, knowing what God's God's will was in a sense of that of God's purpose, God's plan. He prayed in light of God being gracious, in light of that of God being merciful. And we would say to you, in light of the Gospel message. In light of the Gospel message. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, he prayed in light of the gospel message. In light of that of God's wondrous love. So how should we pray? How should we pray for the salvation of the lost? It should should be in light of God's will. It should be in light of that of God's grace, God's mercy, God's wondrous love, and the Gospel message. And we also ought to do it, beloved. Sincerely. Sincerely. And in the light of the fact that we don't know, we don't know who the elect are. We need to leave that with the Lord. We need, we need to look at that individual, beloved, whoever it might be that we pray for. As that of a dear one that we want to see saved and know the grace and mercy of the Lord. And know that there's none, none that are so, so sinful, but that the Lord can save them. Paul says, I am the chiefest of sinners. Lastly, the question are we praying for the salvation of the lost? Are we praying for the salvation of the lost? As I said this morning, Praying for someone indicates that we do care. That we care about that individual. 
If someone's praying for you, that's an indication that they care about you. Is it not? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's desire and prayer. The salvation of that of his people. His kin people. All right. If you still have your bulletin, we'll sing stanza of that old hymn once again. Let's stand. All my iniquities on him were laid. All my indebtedness by him was paid. All who believe on him, the Lord has said, has everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Verily, verily, message ever new. He that believeth on the Son, tis true, hath everlasting life. Though poor and needy, I can trust my Lord. Though weak and sinful, I believe His word. Every child of God hath everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verily, verily, message ever new. He that believeth on the Son, tis true, hath everlasting Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to praise your holy name, Lord, for uh, your love uh, which came to us first. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, the infinite condescension of uh, loving uh, those who were unlovely, who uh, had enmity in their heart towards thee. Father, we uh, know that we love you because you first loved us. And Father, for your generosity, Lord, for the gift of thine only begotten Son, uh, Lord, for the gift of thy Holy Spirit, Lord, for the good news, the gospel that has come to our ears, Lord, we praise you for this. And Father, we pray that the gospel would come to our families' hearts, divine power to the hearts of people here in this city and throughout our country and then Lord to the ends of the earth uh, Lord may uh, your uh, servants the under shepherds of uh, our Lord and Savior may each of them uh, preach and teach with with divine power uh, and bring the good news to every creature in the world Father, help us 
Any other questions? 